President Trump was the catalyst of our refugee relief mission to Germany and Greece. We should have been concerned about refugees anyway. We should have paid more attention anyway. We should have been more involved anyway. We should have mobilized our congregation anyway. We should have been jolted out of our moral complacency anyway. But it was the President of the United States who lit the fires of our simmering moral indignation. His actions, his words, triggered in me a profound need to respond, if only to preserve our synagogue's dignity and to soften the coarseness and make more gentle the callousness of our national discourse. I'm all for competition. I'm all for winning. I'm all for pursuing American interests. But I'm also for Torah. Do not sit idly by while your neighbor bleeds. I'm all for security. I'm all for vetting. But I'm also for Torah. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know the soul of a foreigner, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. It's not that our government is wrong to consider security. The first order of government is to protect the people. It is not wrong for our government to weigh the financial, demographic, social, and political ramifications of allowing desperate and mostly third world people to enter the United States. They are right to do so. It is their job. But we too have a job. We are not politicians. We have an obligation to remind politicians of our moral imperatives. We see the world from our religious obligations out, not from political calculations in. We are driven by not what is popular, but what is right. We are driven not by the word of pollsters, but by the word of God. Love the foreigner. Defend the widow and the orphan. This is the extreme vetting that the Bible demands. And Jews have a special obligation to protect the weak. History has cast us into the role of perpetual wanderers, the wandering Jews. We are a refugee people. We know what it feels like. We are or should be especially sensitive to the well-off turning their backs on human suffering, unwilling to stare it in the face or only pretending to care. We know what it feels like to be uprooted. We know what it feels like to be dislocated. We know what it feels like to be exiled, to be scorned and hated. We know the loneliness, the sadness, that emptiness that never fully disappears. Moreover, it is an American interest to advance humane values. 
It is in our geopolitical interest to speak about, promote, and finance compassion, generosity, and justice. It is one thing to speak of the risks of admitting refugees. It is another thing to speak only of this, to create an image of bedraggled refugees shattered by Assad's brutality or broken by ISIS savagery as a mortal threat to the United States and nothing else. Come on now. Those bright, energetic, vivacious, compelling children that swarmed around us wherever we went. Those seven-year-olds, preteens, teenagers, they are a threat to the security of the strongest, most affluent country in the history of the world. Of course there are many threats to our security. And of course, many threats are inspired by extreme Muslim ideologies. It is right to speak of this. It is wrong to whitewash Islamic extremism, whether in London, Paris, Brussels, New York, or Jerusalem. But to speak only of this? These desperate refugees are a security threat because they happen to be born in Aleppo and you were not? These kids and their parents and young adults, are they human beings or only statistics? A political club with which to beat your opponents, to turn inwards, America first and last, only America, is an affront to the very definition of America. America is a country of immigrants. That's how Donald Trump's family arrived in the late 19th century. That's how most of us ended up here. Someone in our family immigrated, most often fleeing persecution, oppression, or poverty. They turned to a country whose beacon beckoned, a country that promised to gather the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. I support legal immigration. I do not support illegal immigration. I support secure borders. I do not support lax borders. A country that has lost control of its borders, has lost control of its destiny. Still, how many millions of desperate immigrants arrived illegally throughout our history in this country and whose descendants became proud contributing Americans? Are you so sure that everyone in your family came here legally? We have a national obligation by virtue of American exceptionalism to be generous to people. 
It's part of the American dream to encourage and entitle others to be dreamers, to bring them out of the shadows, and to welcome them into the light of liberty. America is also about humanity. America is also about compassion. America is also about dignity, the last best hope on earth. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We are a new kind of nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all are created equal. Falling in love with the American dream, moved by the greatness of the human spirit contained in our founding documents, and deeply humbled by the struggles we have endured living up to the better angels of our nature, it is confusing nowadays to be an American abroad. We stood at the Brandenburg Gate the heart of Hitler's Berlin, in view of the German Reichstag. And it was devastating to think that today it is the German chancellor, not the American president, who is the world's strong, strongest champion of liberty and human dignity. In all my 58 years, I have never felt and never thought this, no matter who was the president, no matter from what party, we are abandoning political and moral leadership. It slips sliding away. And that's why we traveled abroad, to salvage and recapture some Jewish and American self-respect to at least do something, some act that demonstrates some willingness to resist the turning away from what is best of America. We're a tiny corner of the world on 68th Street, on a tiny island. But still, we did some good. We shipped 50 containers of your contributions. We brought with us many thousands of dollars of your generosity. We provided human warmth and human attention to those starved of humanity. It made a difference to them. I was concerned about that, just visiting refugee camps and taking aid workers out of their important work schedules for no reason. Everyone we met was deeply grateful for the tangible and intangible support that we provided. But even if we had not brought this support, still, for our own self-respect and to remind us of our own essential humanity and Jewish obligations, 
It would have been right to go into the muck and see human misery for ourselves. Perhaps it would generate additional empathy that might impact on the way we speak of and act towards those who have received the short end of life's stick. I urge you to speak with those who traveled together and to hear their impressions. It is impossible to articulate fully what we saw and felt, and what can I say in one sermon? I will leave you with this. We stood on the shores of Lesbos, the Greek island 14 miles from Turkey. You might recall images of Lesbos, those heart-rending photos of men and women and children clamoring to reach the beach, some drowning in the ocean or close to the shore. Others picked up by the most noble humanitarians you can ever dream to meet. Aid workers and first responders who left their comfortable jobs and their comfortable homes ready to wade into the ocean and risk their own lives to rescue drowning survivors. Standing on the other side on Turkey's shore, 14 miles from Lesbos, is the last cruel leg of a long, cruel journey of escape. Those fleeing the despot of Damascus, the imams of Iran, ISIS of Iraq, anarchists of Afghanistan, most often make their way to Turkey through harrowing nighttime escapes. They spend their last pennies on smugglers. Somehow, they have made it to within eyeshot of Greece. So many who journeyed with them are no more. They died along the way. So many never journeyed. Their short lives snuffed out by the long reach of murderers. Lesbos is 14 miles away. You can see it. Lesbos is Europe. Lesbos is freedom. Lesbos is never having to worry about another chemical attack. Lesbos is never having to worry about religious persecution. Never having to hear explosions in the morning or a knock on the door at night. And I couldn't help but think of our own people who stood on slavery's shores, behind them persecution and oppression, in front of them the sea. On the horizon, perhaps 14 miles away, was freedom, the last cruel leg of a long, cruel journey of escape from slavery. Jewish tradition tells us that these refugees were massed on the shore in panic. They couldn't go back. Pharaoh's army would slaughter them. They couldn't move forward. There was an ocean in front of them. Finally, the Midrash tells us that one man, 
Nachshon, the son of Aminadab, took the first step. Nothing would have happened had not one Israelite taken that one first step. And then the sea split and the waters parted. They just had to take the leap. On the shores of Lesbos, I imagined those refugees taking the first step into the ocean, hoping for a modern-day miracle that the seas would split and the waters would part. As in the Torah, where God awaited on the other side, so in our time there were rescuers, God's messengers waiting on the other side. Good people were there to save them. If only the refugees could reach as far as the rescuers could grasp. Those smugglers were so craven, so inhuman, so degraded, that they willingly took the last penny of a lifetime of savings from desperate human beings and sent them out on rickety boats with three times as many people as the boats were designed for. And then they told the desperate masses, you see that island? On the horizon? That's Europe. Go and sail. You're now on your own. And the desperate masses piled onto the boats three times as many people as the boats were designed for, pointed those boats towards Lesbos and sailed towards the island of freedom. Many drowned because the boats sank from too much weight. Many others drowned because smugglers knowingly filled only half a tank of gasoline why waste money on refugees? It would get them halfway there, seven miles into the ocean. If they were somehow to be rescued, fine. If not, who cares? It's not my problem. I've been paid. There's an endless stream of desperation behind them. This is who we are. It is the 21st century, but this is who we are. This is what we do to each other. We met a Yazidi young man who was so traumatized by his period of captivity in ISIS and his subsequent escape that he couldn't even be in the same room when he told us his story. He wrote it down beforehand and it was read to us by a staff member of the camp. This is who we are. It is the 21st century, but this is who we are. This is how we treat each other. In Germany, we met several Yazidi refugees, now resettled. One was a young woman who was a slave of ISIS. Use your imagination what she went through. It was obvious to us. She wanted to meet us. She wanted to tell her story. 
but she couldn't really. She spoke to us in three-word sentences, her eyes cast downward, traumatized. This is who we are. It is the 21st century, but this is who we are. This is what we do to each other. In Berlin, we met a Yazidi man studying to be a human rights attorney who shared with us that upon his escape, he ended up in a refugee camp in northern Greece with hundreds of other refugees from throughout the Muslim world. Despite all of them being refugees, fleeing the same enemies, the centuries-old conflict between Muslims and Yazidis was so intense and so normalized that the Muslims in the camp attacked the Yazidis in the camp viciously. Because that's how they were raised in that part of the world. Muslims attack Yazidis. It is the natural order of things. Greek authorities were compelled to create a new camp, its location secret, just for Yazidis, so they could be protected. This is who we are. It is the 21st century, but this is who we are. This is what we do to each other. But we are also those people who waited on the other side, on freedom's shores. They too told us harrowing stories of escape, of rescue, and daring. They told us of how they left high-paying, high-flying jobs to attend to the lowest of human beings. The Midrash asks, why did God choose to put the divine presence in the burning thorn bush, that ugly, stout shrub? Why not some majestic oak or pine that would symbolize the majesty of God? And the sages teach, God put the divine presence in the lowest of trees to remind us that God is present in the lowest of human beings. There are people in our world who take that seriously. There are people in our world so noble in reason, infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In moral apprehension, how like God. The beauty of the world. We can never forget our calling. Ve'ahavta l'ra'echa kamocha. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Our sages teach that this is the preeminent Jewish command. Jesus of Nazareth taught the same. You may know that Lesbos is the island of love. It has come to be linked with the love of one woman for another. 
The word lesbian is associated with lesbos. The correlation first made in the 19th century is drawn through an ancient Greek poet named Sappho, who lived on that island. She composed stirring love poems, often praising female beauty. Very few of her verses survived, but she must have been venerated throughout the ancient world because the greatest of the greatest authors of antiquity knew her poems and referred to her verses. On that island of love, 2,600 years ago, Sappho wrote these words, fragments that survived to our very day, that come down to us from antiquity, reminding us of our eternal purpose. Come to me as before. When you heard my far-off cry, you listened, and you came leaving your father's house. Come to me now once again and release me from grueling anxiety and that my heart longs for fulfill and be my ally in love's battle. Some say an army of horsemen, some of foot soldiers, some of ships is the fairest thing on the black earth. But I say, it is what one loves.